Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Ultimate Supply Chain podcast, the place where we try to answer your burning questions around supply chain issues, things that have become hot topics over the last few years. I'm really excited about today's edition. Over the past few weeks, I've been talking to a number of my colleagues in DHL supply chain, but today we're crossing to the other side of the fence and we're going to have a look at supply chain from the customer's point of view. So I am delighted to welcome Janice Thomas, who is e-commerce and marketing director at Look Fabulous Forever. Welcome, Janice. Thank you for having me, Louise. Uh, It's brilliant to see you today. Um, Can we just start by hearing a little bit about your background and a little bit about your organisation, Look Fabulous Forever? Of course. So um, technically, I got into e-commerce for the first time when I joined Birchbox, which was back in 2016. Um, And that was my first pure play e-commerce role. And my background before then had predominantly been in media and entertainment. But I'd been doing a lot of things in terms of, you know, transactional e-commerce and things like that from the very early days of the internet. And I think now when we look back, we consider that kind of entertainment piece much more as e-commerce now than it was considered at the time. And certainly when I joined Birchbox, it was because they found they could teach someone with a subscriptions background about beauty, but it's much more difficult to teach a beauty person about how subscriptions worked. And in terms of um, Look Fabulous Forever, um, our brand was founded in 2013 by Trisha Cusden. She was 65 at the time, so she is 74 now and the most incredible, inspiring woman. And essentially, as she got older, she found that the skincare and makeup products that she had traditionally used didn't work well for her skin. And so she said, right, well, I need to be using something else. And she started looking out there and essentially nobody else, um, no other mainstream beauty brands or retailers were catering to older women. As far as they're concerned, an older woman is anyone over 30, whereas our products are specifically designed for women after they've been through their menopause. So our customers are typically in their 60s, 70s and 80s. Amazing. Now, I've had a look at um, at your website. Um, you're absolutely right. Trisha does seem to be quite the inspirational leader there, very much leading from the front, um, very much al- almost evangelising um, about the difference that that comes in, in older years when you're purchasing um, makeup and cosmetics um, in particular. I think the story is one that we can learn from as we're looking at customer needs and how we um, how we serve customer needs through both our channels and the products that we that we offer. Um, but looking at that demographic, given that your your demographic is very specifically older ladies, what challenges does that give you with the e-commerce platform? I think for um, us, the main issue is building trust that um, because we are so different from what's out there, why should I be buying different lipstick than I've been buying my whole life? Why should I buy different blusher than the one that I've been using for 50 years? And so we have quite a lot to explain to our customer and to build her trust and to tell Trisha's story and explain, you know, the challenges that Trisha faced are the same as our customer Faces, So we have quite a long journey to purchase 
But then once we have our customer try our products for the first time, she finds the difference that it really does make. And then our customers are incredibly loyal and they buy a whole range of different products from us. They, you know, really evangelize for us, all of those things. So it's a long journey to purchase. But then typically once we have someone, um, she is very engaged and very loyal. Yeah, look, uh, having looked at your uh, having looked at your website, one of the things that struck me is it did feel very relationship based. Um, there's lots on that website that you can um, you can recognize um, that there's lots that you can associate with. And it did remind me of that relationship that perhaps was back in the day for cosmetics when you might go into a store, try something out. Um, but you very much trust the person you're trying it out with. I think establishing that trust is something that you've done really, really well in a virtual platform. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, how did you get to that? Yeah, that's very kind of you to say. And we've spent a lot of um, time in the last two years in particular working on that. And I think one of the key things that we've implemented is around personalization and uh, you know that going back two years our website was trying to do everything for everyone and we very much had that you know homepage stuffed with different content for different people and recognizing things like well if you've never bought from us we need to do a good job of telling Trisha's story and why we exist and why our products are different whereas if you're an existing customer you already know all that and you want to get into products much more quickly and the type of products that you'll buy are typically different that for example if you're a first time customer you're much more likely to buy makeup from us than skincare and you'll probably either buy you know kind of a lipstick or an eyeshadow or a blusher kind of replacing something you have used traditionally or you'll invest in one of our primers because we do a lot of um, work to explain the difference that primers make um, as you get older to keep your makeup looking colourful and vibrant throughout the day. So you'll probably enter through those kind of products. But if you're an existing customer, particularly if you've already bought skincare from us before, you'll have a replenishment cycle and kind of all of those things. So I think that's been the kind of key focus for us is understanding the different consumers have different needs and really kind of playing up that trust building through content. You know, our YouTube channel is huge. We've got thousands of videos. Um, we, you know, have millions of, of views. Um, you know, we've got about 50,000 subscribers. Uh, we have a closed Facebook group, which is really key for our community to have somewhere um, where they can share their lives and not just have a relationship with us as a as a brand that, you know, particularly um, in the last year or so post COVID, they're all, you know, meeting up and, you know, socializing in real life, as well as kind of talking online and all, all of those things. So we have lots of things going on that about that relationship and that trust and not just trying to sell you product that if we showed you an ad that had, you know, an eyeshadow palette in it, we could be any other makeup brand but particularly when we're showing Trisha and our customers and the difference that our product makes you know our audience is so overlooked by mainstream um, brands and retailers full stop not just in the beauty industry so when our customer sees herself 
represented in advertising in an aspirational way, then she really engages with it. Yeah, I get that. And and I think um, one of the things I would say is that you guys have done a really good job of exactly what you've just said, actually. This isn't just a, a sales channel. Um, this is somewhere you can go to ask questions, get answers, interact. Um, and I think you've done a great job of reflecting a customer's needs through not just one channel, but many channels. So as you say, if, if, you're, if you're going for skincare, um, there's a, there's a route for that. If you are a repeat buyer, there's a route for that. It doesn't feel clunky. It doesn't feel like it's all thrown at you in one place. Um, I hadn't, um, researched enough to, to find your, your closed Facebook page, but I think that too is a great idea, particularly around that, that trust build. Um, and I mean, moving the conversation into e-commerce cause, cause we're kind of there. I think this is a great example of where e-commerce can replace that in-person experience, but not in a hundred percent like for like way. Um, so, so you still want that trust. You still want to build that relationship, but it's a little bit different, isn't it? When it isn't in person. Absolutely. And I think it is, it's about playing to the strengths of being online that, you know, the fact that, you know, we have this community where people have made, you know, real friends and things like that, that just doesn't, you know, even in a fantastic retail experience, that's not what that is yeah. about. Yeah, so, you can somehow you can go deeper, can't you? Although it, it kind of kind of feels almost perverse. You can go deeper. And I think people are often prepared to share a little bit more if they're not face to face so quickly. Indeed. And we do a lot of stuff that's going on outside our website. For example, one of the things that we do is because our products are different. Sometimes they work in a counterintuitive way. So, for example, um, our lip primer. Traditionally, if you buy a lip primer, it goes on your lips and then you put your lipstick on top to kind of keep it you know, in place. Whereas our lip primer is designed specifically because as you get older, you start to get fine lines around your lips and the lipstick bleeds into them and it's not very flattering. So instead, our lip primer goes around the outside of your lips to seal the edges and keep your lipstick looking sharp and fresh. So when you buy that product from us afterwards, we will send you an email with a video that explains how to use that particular product so that you get the most from that. We don't just say, oh, you bought our book lip primer. We've got your money, you know. Yeah, you're, you're dead to us now. It's like, no, we want to help you. Um, we help want to help you um, use that product and understand it and make the most of it and potentially come back and either replenish it or buy something else or all of those things. Yeah, and I think you know, bringing it back to supply chains. Um, often we talk about the e-commerce supply chain and the route to market through e-commerce for the supply chain. Um, and I think what we're talking about here is it's a mistake to think an e-commerce supply chain platform stops there, because if it does, it's just the sales platform. You're not able to do exactly what you've just said, which is establish that relationship, that rapport, that ongoing dialogue with our customers. Indeed, and it makes us very, we're really clear about our strategy, and that means that we're quite picky about things that we would and wouldn't do, that, for example, it just wouldn't be right for us to sell into a, you know, a John Lewis or a Selfridges, where you're, you know, big beauty hall staffed with women in their 
20s, it just isn't the right environment for us. I was going to ask you that, actually, whether you could ever see a time where you might move to bricks and mortar. You've just answered that. It sounds like you wouldn't. I think we would struggle because we would need we would need to have such so many touch points really um to have a relationship with our customer rather than it being like a special occasion that you you know we did pop-ups a couple of times but it means that you have to come to that one particular location you're not going to have that relationship kind of all of those things so it just doesn't quite work for our brand i'd never say never but it we would have to do it in a way that we were really replicating that environment it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, for, for so many organisations, e-commerce has been born of a need um, largely driven by COVID where we can't be face to face. That's clearly not not the case for you. You've embraced e-commerce up front and it's become your it's your channel of choice. Um, Indeed. It's funny that when Trisha first started the brand she thought it would be about network selling she thought it would be you know makeup parties you know with people and their friends and she quickly found that that wasn't the best way that you know online was much more um was getting much more traction particularly once she started getting a bit of PR and kind of all of those things it was it was just kind of organically became the right platform for us and do you find, look, people talk about silver surfers and look, I'm 55 and I'm fast approaching that that silver surfer. It winds me up a little bit because we've been using the internet for pretty much ever. Do you find the, um, the channel any sort of barrier to your demographic? There are some much older customers that it is a little bit of a barrier for. And we do have a small base of very loyal, very high customer, high value customers who prefer to place their order over the phone purely right. because of the interaction that they have with a woman, typically in her 60s, you know, will be who they will speak to and will be, you know, they'll have a nice chat and kind of all of those things. But I think, you know, our audience is much more online than they're given credit for that yeah. we know within our customer base, um, around 40% do all or most of their shopping online. Um, over 80% of them use online banking, over 80% of them use some kind of um, entertainment streaming service. You know, these particularly, there is a generation of women who, when their, you know, offices were computerized, their boss didn't want to know how to use the system. You, right. you know, you do it for me, that, those kind of things. So I think they are much, much more tech savvy than they are given credit for and because we treat them not like they're you know experts and you know kind of gatekeepery way but we just treat them with respect and like they're going to know what they do and you know they feel comfortable in that environment yeah that that's very very clear i can't stand those um those patronizing websites that um well, you know what I'm talking about. The, the ones that suggest that if you're over 60 or you're over 50 or you, you, you even, you're even slightly north of 30, that you might not know what a click is. So look, we know that e-commerce has changed massively in the last couple of years. Um, given that you started your business or, or Trisha started your business online, did you see much difference over the last change uh, over the last couple of years around that huge boom in e-commerce? So I think for us, there have been a lot of 
changes and some of them have been COVID related, but a lot of them more have been kind of a shift in strategy. I think our main COVID change was the start of our private Facebook group that Trisha started that when we went into the first lockdown because she recognised that our customers were going to be disproportionately affected, that the vast majority are retired. So their whole lives revolved around family or grandchildren or volunteer work or meeting friends for coffee and lunch and things. And that all went away. So the community was always set up as a place where our customers could come together and support each other. And that's continued well beyond COVID. That's, you know, that we see women, you know, every day share, you know, things like a, you know, cancer diagnosis or the loss of a partner or things like that. Very, you know, kind of rich um, from our point of view. We really get to know our customers and see into their lives. And what one of the things that really strikes me about that community is we regularly measure net promoter score and our net promoter score for people in the closed Facebook group is significantly higher than people who aren't but one of the most surprising things is people who know that we have the group but have chosen not to join it their NPS is still higher than people who just don't are on part of the group so that I just find that fascinating just knowing that we have the group makes customers feel better for about us even if they don't choose to join it so I, I find that fascinating it says a lot about your brand um you're, you're not a cosmetics you're not simply a cosmetics company um the, the DHL um, brand promise is connecting people improving lives you're actually doing that um this isn't just so. about selling people selling people makeup um Wow, that's um that that it's amazing that you can touch people in that way. Um, a huge responsibility. How do you how do you, how do you keep that going? Um, yeah, so I think for us, like our mission, essentially, we say that we're on a mission to empower a generation of women um, to look, feel, and live fabulously forever. And that empowerment piece is really key. And one of the things that was really interesting. Um, particularly in 2020, that most makeup brands saw a significant decline in lipstick sales that, you know, around the whole thing around wearing masks and kind of all of those things. We didn't see that at all because our message to our customer is you wear lipstick for you when you look at yourself in the mirror. You're not wearing it for anyone, anyone else. And I think that purpose piece is really key that you know Trisha goes out for example one of the things that she did recently was she spoke at a conference for people who are building retirement villages to challenge their perception of what their potential customer was and what she wanted and and kind of all of those things that I think we've got to be really clear about what we stand for and that's about what doing the right thing and also recognising there are things that we shouldn't do and are not right for us. I mean, that empowerment thing is really interesting and perhaps it's because I'm getting older, but it strikes me that older people aren't old like they were when I was young, if you know what I mean. Older people don't seem so old anymore. Um, and I think gen generally 
there seems to be less of a barrier between the young and the old and it feels like you can you know still wear jeans still I still skateboard you can still do all of the things you used to do when you were young there isn't such a you were young now you're old you used to do that now you can't in the future you need to I don't know get your hair permed um and it's empowerment isn't it it's about saying to people yeah live your life indeed and I think you know that there is that piece around representation and representing that is the experience of older people that you know why are you advertising them the stanner stair lift you know why are you stereotyping the vision of them being you know frail and forgetful this is not that is not typically the case and there is a danger in a lot of um, e-commerce organizations to say oh my customer looks like me and the people who work in my office and that is not the case and particularly if you look at um, demographics it's only around 20-25% are in that kind of you know 25 to 40 group and there's so so much wider diversity in age beyond the people that you're going to typically see in a day-to-day interaction in your office and actually challenging yourself to say okay who is my customer that they're not necessarily just like me yeah no I get that um Looking at e-commerce currently, we, we know there are issues. We know that, um, you know, people are saying that e-commerce is tailing off. Are you finding that? I'm guessing not because you've been an e-commerce business from the start. I mean, I think e-commerce in particular is really um, kind of the um, canary in the coal mine of the cost of living crisis that I think it's much easier to think oh do you know what I'm not going to buy that dress that I was going to that the ad just came up on my Facebook feed I'm not going to you know kind of oh I'll cut back here and there rather than necessarily when you're going out and you're in the supermarket you think oh yeah you know what I'll throw that in the trolley you know as well as well while I'm here that it's also you hear people switching to cash and things like that it's like well that's exactly the kind of thing that then impacts e-commerce businesses because you're not paying cash so I think that is what we're seeing in e-commerce is the early warning signs of the potential financial crisis that we seem to be heading towards which is terrifying yeah no I I completely agree um I think there's a lot that um, a lot has changed over the over the last couple of years, obviously, and the boom was was bound to burst at some point, right? Um, and I think we're starting to see the signs of it. Um, I was just interested in the fact that as an e-commerce business from the beginning, um, were you seeing any impact in the decline of e-commerce? But as you say, it's more likely to be the financial um, pullback rather than anything to do with the platform itself. Yeah, and I, I think there is always the issue that, you know, there was a huge disruption in behaviour that suddenly people were forced to buy things online that they would traditionally have bought in person. And if you are providing either a better service, a better experience or a better product, then you're going to maintain those behaviours when you know, when in-store retail reopens. But if you're not, then why wouldn't people go back to in-store retail? 
Yeah, of course. And it, and it sounds, you know, just from the conversation we've been having, people are coming to your website, not necessarily to buy. They're coming for that community. They're coming for that support. They're coming for that sense of empowerment and, and finding somebody who's like-minded. Um, so, I mean, I guess as much as anything else, that, that is the beauty of a brand positioning in your e-commerce rather than a sales positioning. Absolutely. That, you know, who knows what the next, you know, six to 12 months hold for us, but we hope that if nothing else, we can maintain this relationship with our our customer, which means that then we're more likely to bounce back more quickly after, you know, hopefully people have a bit more money in their pocket. Sure. E-commerce and returns is something that's been covered um, hugely in the press. Can you talk us through a little bit about how returns works for a cosmetic company? Because it's a bit different to if you're buying, I don't know, a, a book or a table. Yes. So for us, a core part of our proposition is that you can try any of our products. And if they don't work for you, you can return it for free for either a full refund or an exchange for a different colour. And that is an essential part of our proposition and building trust is that if it doesn't work, then you can absolutely get your money back. You won't be out of pocket and try going to Boots and saying, oh, you know, I tried this lipstick and it doesn't suit me. Can I have my, yeah, can I have my money back? No, it's not going to happen. So for us, that trust building piece is really crucial. But what's interesting is that we don't necessarily see significantly higher returns rates than other beauty e-commerce retailers do, that we treat our customers with trust and respect and we do our best to make sure that she's going to pick the right product and that she's going to pick the right shade and we provide a lot of tools to make sure that she's sure that she's got the right thing before she makes the purchase, but she has that confidence. If that it's not right, then we're absolutely going to give you your money back. You're not going to be out of pocket for returning it to us. All of those things is a really key part of our trust building proposition. Now, I completely agree. I mean, I, I know a, a number of my um, older friends actually are a little bit put off from an e-commerce purchase because of the hassle that they perceive might come of, of a potential return. Um, and I think making it very easy up front and, and making your communication that is very easy up front, um, kind of almost no quibble. Obviously, sometimes there needs to be a quibble, but almost no quibble um, is essential in, in, in this area. To what extent are you caught up in, in the need for returns to boost the circular economy? So I think for us, because we have a very consumable product um, we don't really kind of get into that. And I think what, what's been interesting is kind of trying to understand what that might look like for us and whether it's actually at the end of the day, the right thing to do. So for example, one of the things that we could potentially do is essentially sell uh, like an eyeshadow palette where you can replace the color at the, the end of it. And what's interesting with that is quite often at, at Birchbox, we would sample things that were like that. They were an eyeshadow that wasn't in a, in a container. And one of the things that we found was we actually had huge volumes of breakages unless you packed it in a ton of plastic, which then becomes equally as bad as putting it in a container in the first place. 
So I think there's a lot of things like that, that it's very easy to say, oh, hey, we've got this green solution. Oh, it's, you know, recyclable. It, you know, it's reusable more than recyclable. Um, But it's not necessarily as black and white as it might appear on the surface. And I think these are issues that we try to think about properly and not just have a knee-jerk reaction. So, for example, things like um, plastic, Uh, One of the alternatives to plastic is bamboo, but then bamboo is a very invasive species. And are you actually just trading off one problem for another? So I think that's how we try and think about these things is like, let's not just greenwash an easy solution that we can say, hey, we're doing this. Let's hold off and make sure that we're actually really doing the right thing. Do you, um, given that you've got an ongoing dialogue with so many of your customers, is sustainability something that your customers talk to you about? It's interesting, actually, because this is something that we um, we do a quarterly customer survey and sustainability is one of the things that we, we ask about. So we've been tracking that since June 2020. And what's been really interesting is that the concerns around sustainability have slowly been increasing Um, over the two years until our June 22 survey. And then it dropped off in favour of value for money being the biggest concern. So it's interesting that people, certainly in our audience, are thinking about they're going to have, if they're going to have to make a choice between price and sustainability, they're going to choose price right now. Wow, that's really interesting, isn't it? And and look, it makes perfect sense. Um, but interesting that you can track that through your quarterly survey um, so so dynamically. Um, amazing, because again, I think that's one of the things where, you know, sustainability is almost seen as an agenda of the younger demographic and that, you know, perhaps the older people are a bit more responsible for the problems that we've got and the younger demographic are the ones who are going to have to pay for it. So interesting that you're seeing that interest amongst that older demographic, um, but also that they are having to make some of those decisions about price and and green, um, because I think that's coming to all of us. How do you see the future of e-commerce, Janice? How do you see this? How do you see this whole e-commerce thing playing out? Yeah, I mean, I think you know we've kind of dipped our toe in the water of personalization, and I think there's a lot more that we can do, and I think there's a lot more that brands can do, and I think you touched on this idea earlier, going back to the old days of retail when you went into a shop and somebody knew you and they knew what you needed and they were willing to help you and kind of those things and I think that's where e-commerce is going to evolve to is how do you have that one-to-one relationship with your customer that then actually supersedes the current physical retail experience like how do you make it even better and I think there are so many exciting um, technologies and you know things that we're we're doing to help our customers choose the right product for them and kind of all of those things. I think that amazing online experience is incredibly exciting. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I have to say the the most excited online exciting online experience I've seen with cosmetics was actually Mac. Um, now I'm not a huge Mac user, but I don't know if you've seen what you can do there. You you literally pick products and it puts it on your face and then if you hand your phone to somebody next to you it puts it on their face 
Um, and I was thinking, that's really clever technology. And immediately my head got into, how is that working? And then I was thinking, but it's not going to look like that when you buy it, is it? So much so that I bought it. And it is very, very accurate. I was amazed. Um, and I love that. The fact that you're able to try before you buy, that's got to push down your returns. Um, the fact that I was able to get a fully made up face in a way I would never, never, ever have imagined was incredible. So that that virtual reality coming to be reality, um, I was blown away by. C- can you see that perhaps um, be in a place that you guys might go? So actually something we looked into um, about two years ago when we started um, developing our tool to help um, customers choose colours. And certainly when we looked at it then, it may have changed since then. Um, one of the things that AR struggles with is how colour refracts light onto your skin. And sure. that's got quite a lot to do with whether a particular colour will suit you or not. So because of that, we ended up going down a different route where we asked customers um, things like, does gold or silver jewellery suit her better? What colour do the veins White in her wrist yeah. appear um, is she looking for something because she's going out to walk the dog or is she looking for something because she's going for a fancy night out? Those yeah. kind of questions to then kind of make a recommendation on that basis. I have to say, I really liked the questions you asked there because they didn't feel invasive. They didn't feel like you were asking questions about makeup. Um, it's like you're asking questions. The, the one you talk about, is it walking the dog? Um, you're talking about the way people live, which means that you know the product you're selling isn't isn't a fancy product isn't a isn't necessarily um you know a treat or something it's about the way you live it's about empowerment every single day um i liked those the one on the wrist was fascinating because i couldn't decide whether mine are um or are purple or green and just as i was debating whether they were purple and green i realized that you had an option for i don't know whether they're purple and green absolutely works so janice how do you see the future what challenges do you see in the future both for the e-commerce channel and for supply chain in general yeah, so I think there, you know, that sustainability thing is going to keep coming back. And I think there is that thing of how many different services you're getting that are ringing on your doorbell every day, you know, when you're returning things, you know, kind of getting them picked up. And it's so convenient from a customer point of view. But is that the right thing um, from an environmental perspective? And I think there's some really interesting challenges ahead around how can we make things easier for for customers and and make it a great experience and not just something they're choosing because they perceive it that it's the right thing to do i think there are some retailers doing some interesting things around this idea of what if i don't need it straight away and amazon doing their amazon day where you can just order all week and then one day they'll put everything in one box together and ship it to you and all of those things but then you've got that conflict with customers wanting stuff and wanting it now so i I think that it's kind of partially a kind of consumer demand pull but also kind of pushing on customers this is a better experience for them from an environmental perspective we're going to incentivize you to go down that route that kind of thing yeah and how demanding are your customers on speed of delivery well to be fair we um 
we have an amazing um, partner that does our fulfillment and particularly uh, it's not typical but our customers often will comment that the fact that they placed an order today and it arrived you know it arrived the next day and they weren't expecting expecting that so that is partly because we have an amazing um, we have an amazing fulfillment partner but um, I think I think there are a lot of there are a lot of e-commerce businesses where customers I mean I know Amazon these days I am slightly disappointed if I order something today and I don't get it tomorrow whereas three years ago if I got it this week you know whatever are you seeing that are you seeing a I mean accepting that you have a fulfillment partner that delivers next day is that something that your customer would would even pay for is there is there a value that comes with it or are they just delighted um, as as, a, as almost as an added extra that they weren't expecting. Yeah, I think for us, like free delivery is really really crucial, and our customer would definitely prefer free over fast. So it's understanding what what is the priority for her, and it is that you know it's easy and friction free if I'm not paying for delivery, and it's very. It's very rare that it might be an event like a wedding or something that I, I need it the next day. Um, most of the time it's like, no, you know what, a couple of days is absolutely fine. Yeah. So so for your customers, it's about free delivery and um, easy return if it's not quite what I like. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing that because you have quarterly reviews with your customers, because you have quarterly feedback sessions, if that were to change, you'd know about it really. Yeah, absolutely. One of the questions we ask every quarter is, was your delivery, did your delivery arrive when you expected, before you expected or after you expected? And we track that very closely. Amazing. Um, So Janice, we were talking earlier about the fact that you do have a very specific demographic in mind, perhaps more specific than than any of the cosmetic online firms that that I've looked at. Um, Does that impact your recruitment policy who works who who works at um at your organization so i think for us we have from an age perspective very you know we've we've literally got five generations i think we we worked out or at least at least five decades we've got people in their 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s and 70s working for the business so we, we do have the, quite the demographic spe- spread. And I think for us particularly, you know, we have um, multiple times a week, we all have contact with Trisha. Um, Trisha produces our content or we have a number of other women that we work with that obviously all in their 60s, 70s and 80s. Whenever So whenever we're producing content, we're dealing with that. We have our... Um, close Facebook group so we hear from our customers and we hear what's going on in their lives every day all of our customer service um, team are women in their 50s 60s and 70s so you know kind of those those kind of things that we're quite key about like which person does which role and things like we would never hire a 40 year old um, to you know appear in some content or some advertising that would just be be wrong but at the same time you know we are an e-commerce you know sort of I think pretty cutting edge um, digital business that um, you know we would certainly be open to 
any age uh, applying, but those skills do tend to skew younger and and that's really kind of key for the for the business. That's not to say that we wouldn't consider. I think one of our biggest um frustrations and certainly found that at Birchbox that men just don't apply to work in beauty companies. And, you know, particularly something like Birchbox, it's like it was the original subscription box. You know, there are a million reasons why you would want to work for that business that aren't anything to do with beauty or cosmetics. And it's really it's really hard. And I think one of the things that I do, because I don't think it's just about saying, oh, I want to change things. Isn't it terrible that this is the pool of applicants that we get? But how do you change the pool of applicants, not just at Look Fabulous Forever, but more widely within e-commerce. So one of the things that I do, I work with an organization called WIC Digital, W-Y-K, stands for what you know, as opposed to who you know. And that's a um, program funded by the Prince's Trust. It's an 11-week program where they teach young people from diverse backgrounds about paid search, paid social, and Google Analytics so that they can go into an entry-level job in those fields. So changing the demographic going into e-commerce is something that I can make a difference. Um, so I want to, to do that rather than just say, oh, I'm not, you know, I can only hire from the pool of applicants I've got. No, that's, that's, um, that sounds great. I will definitely look it up um, later on. Um, I think we're probably quite similar in that. If I look at how I recruit into my team, I've got a team of marketers. Um, a lot of what I need them to do is based on experience. However, um, we're moving into a digital world. I need digital natives. Um, and I think when you're able to mix all of the demographics together, that whole diversity of age, but also, you know, diversity of culture, diversity of background, all of those things make such a difference to a brand and your ability to deliver to a customer base that is also diverse. Um, and let's face it, today's 40-year-olds are next decade's 50-year-olds. Um, so we've got to keep that that stuff moving. We, we've got to be able to, to fund future gener- generations with knowledge and experience. Um, I've got to say, Look Fabulous Forever sounds like the most amazing organisation. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Janice. I know this won't be the last time you and I speak um, be, because I'm going to make sure that you and I stay connected. Um, this has been absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it too. And thanks so much for you to you guys for listening today. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends, you know, you can download it through all the usual channels. This one has been a bit different. We started off talking about e-commerce and supply chains. We've ended up very much talking about diversity and inclusion brand. Um, and it really has been a pleasure talking to an organization that just isn't, isn't just about selling, but is more about empowering people to live their lives to the greatest of their potential. Real pleasure. Thanks very much for tuning in.